any good stories on your youth minister, I got them. But I'm not going to tell you because he has too many good stories on me as well. But I can provide this service. If you have any problems with his accent, I can do some translation for you. So after working with him for four years, I learned the Robbie code. Um, it was so good to be here yesterday and be with uh, your teenagers and some of the teenagers from the area. Uh, I grew up in Mount Dora, Florida. I uh, lived there, went to uh, what is now Mount Dora Christian Academy. And because of that, uh, I, I went to a lot of youth rallies in the area when I was growing up, but I never went to anything quite like that, uh, what you did yesterday. Uh, my dad has this saying, after everything was said and done, more was said than done. Uh, yesterday, more was done than said. And so it was good to be here and be a part of uh, what you guys have going. Um, when he called me and told me the theme for the weekend, uh, that the theme was Rise Up, I immediately thought of uh, a Maya Angelou, uh, the great American poet, uh, Maya Angelou poem called Still I Rise. And so it's a, it's a lengthy poem. I'm not going to read all of it to you, but I just want to read a couple verses from the poem um, so you'll get kind of the gist of what she's saying. Somewhere in the poem, she says, You may shoot me with your words, and you may cut me with your eyes. You may kill me with your hatefulness, but still, like air, I rise. And then she ends the poem with these two verses. Out of the huts of history's shame, I rise. Up from the past that's rooted in pain, I rise. I am a black ocean, leaping and wide. Welling and swelling, I bear the tide. Leaving behind the nights of terror and fear, I rise into a daybreak that's wondrously clear. I rise. Bringing the gifts that my ancestors gave, I rise. I am the dream and hope of the slave. I rise, I rise, I rise. There's a stubborn determination in those words. There's this defiance that says no matter what happens, no matter what has happened, no matter what will happen, still I rise. I want to tell you the story, and the story is absolutely true. Uh, and in the first service when I told the story, uh, one of my best friends that I went to high school with uh, was here, and so he, he was here to verify that the story is true. Uh, I've told it a number of times. That was the first time I had ever told it when someone was in the room that saw it happen. Um, I, I should start out by saying that I was probably the world's most average baseball player. Uh, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't bad, but I wasn't a pro prospect either. I was just kind of a pretty good first baseman and a pretty good hitter. And so in the 10th grade, I was the starting first baseman uh, at Mount Dora, and we were playing this team from Daytona Beach uh, called Luther, I think was the name of the school. I, I remember they wore green. Uh, and I was up to bat, and my grandparents had driven all the way from Knoxville, Tennessee, down I-75, 12 hours, just to come and see me play baseball. And so I got up to bat, and I hit a gapper. Uh, and what that means, I hit between the left fielder and the center fielder, and I made it all the way to second base, and I hit a double, and I remember standing on second base and thinking, I'm so glad that I got a hit when my grandparents were here to see me. So the person that came up behind me also got a hit. And so I thought to myself, as you do on second base when someone gets a hit behind you, I'm going to score. And then for some reason the thought went through my head, because my grandparents were there to watch me, and I'm going to look good doing it. So I started running, and I was trying to take a wide round on third base, 
and then something uh, unfortunate happened. I tripped over third base. Now, when you trip, you usually, on the way home, play, you usually fall down and get back up, and then you go on home or you go back to third base. But for some reason, in trying to recover myself, I decided to run while I was falling. Now, so I ran, and I fell down. I got back up, and I fell down. I got back up, and I fell down. I got back up, and I fell down. Four times. So at this point, I'm desperate. And I know that getting up is not working for me. So I started crawling towards home plate. Reached out as far as I could, only to hear, you're out. One foot from home plate. Now, while I was, so I thought this is bad, but I didn't realize how bad, because I turned around to my dugout to see what was going on as I was going to run back to the dugout, and everybody in my dugout was rolling on the ground laughing at me. I look out at the pitcher's mound, and the pitcher is doubled over laughing. I look up for my grandparents, hoping that they would provide some support. They're laughing. I look at the umpire, which is my last-ditch hope, and he has his mask off, his glasses off, rubbing his eyes, going, that's the funniest thing I've ever seen. And so I get back up and only do what I can be called the walk of shame, back from being called out to the dugout. And, and to this day, people bring it up. To this day, like, I, it, I, so many people said, man, I wish I had that on America's Funniest Home Video. If I had a video of that, I'd win the $10,000. And I was thinking, you know, I didn't see it happen, but that $10,000 would be mine. That, that happened to me. I, I, was, um, I was in Orlando about two years ago, and I ran into a friend of mine's dad, a friend who played on that baseball team, and his dad was like, hey, remember that time that you... And I was like, that's 30 years ago. 30 years ago. But I said... Yes, I remember. Um, and, and it became the thing that I am, was most known for in high school, as people recollect. It comes up all the time. It came up yesterday at lunch with my friend Scott. But there was something my dad said after it that all these years has made it okay and not embarrassing for me. I went, on the way home, I, he could tell I didn't want to talk about it. I don't think he wanted to talk about it. And so all he said to me was, son, at least you never gave up. And, and that's who we are, right? Uh, we're the people of never give up. We're the people of get knocked down eight times, get up nine. Uh, we, that's, that's who we are. But how is it that we're that people? How, how are we able to do that? One of my favorite passages in Scripture is at the end of Hebrews 11. Now, Hebrews 11 is known as the faith chapter, and it's the chapter right before... Uh, the verse that Robbie quoted during his Lord's Supper talk. And uh, Hebrews 11 is a history of our faith. It's the, it's the list of the faithful. And you have all these great people from the Hebrew story and all the action verbs of the stuff that they did. And we concentrate that on that a lot. A lot of times we don't read the end of the chapter. And it's almost like the Hebrew writer got to the end, ran out of time, and so just started listing off a bunch of other people. And I want to read that portion of the end of Hebrews 11 for you. The writer says this, And what more shall I say? 
I do not have to tell you the time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who, through faith, conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, who quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and holes in the ground. They were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us they would be made perfect. Did you hear what some of the people of God went through? And still their faithfulness was commended by the Hebrew writer. How are they able to do that? You see, I'm afraid sometimes when people look at Christians through the screen of their TV, or they hear what some Christians are preaching, they begin to get a different view of the gospel. You see, there's preachers who go on TV and they preach what uh, we would call the prosperity gospel, this kind of health and wealth, name it and claim it. If you'll become a Christian, your life will get better. If you'll follow God, all of the roads will be straight, all the lights will be green, your girlfriend will never cheat on you, your, boy, your husband will never leave you, uh, you'll make lots of money and be able to retire at 60. Just send money to this number. And then people come to Christians under those suppositions, and then something bad happens to them, and one of two things happens. They either lose their faith, or they start to question whether or not they have enough faith. But if you read Scripture, one of the things you'll find out is there's not one person in Scripture who makes a serious commitment to follow God whose life gets significantly easier. It's not our gospel. Our gospel is not just follow Jesus and everything will get better. Our gospel is take up your cross and follow me. And you can overcome anything. You can overcome anything. You can rise up. We're the people of the resurrection. And so I, I went to Freed Hardeman uh, University, and one of the things they taught Freed Hardeman Bible students uh, is the three-point sermon. Uh, but luckily I wasn't a Bible student, and so my sermon today only has one point. Uh, one point, and that answers the question, how can we as the people of the never give up, how can we do it? And the answer is simple. You're not alone. You're not alone. That's the only point in today's sermon, is that you are not alone as you're walking through this. And we catch a glimpse of this uh, with Jesus is meeting with his disciples in the Last Supper. You know, Jesus, at the very end of his ministry, came into this room with his disciples and he ate a Passover feast with them. And luckily, uh, the Apostle John records the, the entire conversation, more so than any of the uh, synoptic Gospels. 
and he records this conversation and he's telling them, I'm going away to a place you can't go and they're not, they're not trying to hear it. Uh, they don't think it's a good thing that Jesus is going away at all. And so Jesus tells them a couple things about this place that he's going. And one of the things he says is, I will not leave you as orphans. There is a comforter coming that will be with you. He even goes as far to tell them as, it will be better for you if I go. Now, I've tried several times to put myself in the place of the disciples and the apostles in that moment, and I've been with Jesus in, for too short of a time for Jesus to be going anywhere. And I've seen all these miracles, and I've heard all these teachings, and I'm thinking to myself, how can it be better if Jesus goes? For me, that would seem worse. So how is it better? Well, what Jesus is saying to them is the Spirit of the living God is about to come inside of them. The Spirit that moved into the tabernacle in the days of old and moved into the temple uh, when, during the history of the, of the Israelites. The same Spirit that came into Jesus when Scripture says the fullness of God was in Jesus has now been opened to all of us. Jesus who, while on earth, was a scarce resource. People had to nuzzle their way in to the crowd to get to see him. Was now become, becoming a ubiquitous resource. The spirit of Jesus inside of all of us. What Paul calls in Colossians, Christ in you, the hope of glory. That we have God inside of us. And, and, and that's, that we're not alone. And because of that, we can rise up. One of my favorite verses to talk about this is in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 when Paul says that we have this all-surpassing power of God in jars of clay. And when you read it, you kind of feel like in context that we're the jar of clay, that we have the surpassing power inside of us. Now, I have uh, some experience with pottery, and as you can tell uh, by my other story, I've always been kind of a klutz, so I know for a fact, with plenty of evidence, that if you drop pottery, it breaks. Right? Uh, it, it breaks. But when this all-surpassing power comes into a, a jar of clay, Paul says this, you are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. You are perplexed, but not in despair. You are persecuted, but not abandoned. You are beat down, but never destroyed. Nothing on the outside can cause enough pressure to be stronger than what's on the inside. See, it shouldn't be surprising to us or to anyone else that we rise up because we are people of the resurrection. The power of creation uh, that made everything that you ever think was beautiful is the power that is within you. The power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power that gives you the strength to rise. And because God knew that we would meet him, God made a way to break off a little piece of God and put inside of us. We are never alone. But it's more than that, because Hebrews 11 turns into Hebrews 12, and the writer says, and you are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Uh, the people of Hebrews 11 are now the witnesses of you as you live a life like the way they lived, as you live a life of faith. As you rise up, you, had a, you have a crowd of those who have gone on before you 
uh, calling you into the story and cheering you on. Now, one of my favorite examples of this is I had a, had a couple friends go into the Marines right after high school. Uh, and I got letters from both of them during boot camp. And one of their letters was like, man, this is the hardest thing I've ever done. They make us do calisthenics and run before breakfast. Uh, the food is awful. Uh, and uh, it's, the people are mean to me and they yell at us. And it's, it's just one of the worst things I've ever been through. And then I got a letter from another friend that said, this is the coolest thing I've ever done. We get to exercise before breakfast. They gave us all these cool little green underwear. Um, they give us guns to play with. How cool is this? And um, so Richard, the second one, I was meeting with him afterwards, and I said, how hard did it get? And he said, honestly, it got pretty hard. I said, how did you make it through? And he said, well, I thought of every Marine that I've ever known and knew that they made it through. And that's how I got it through. That's why Hebrews 11 is in Scripture. Uh, that's why Hebrews 12 says the crowd of witnesses are watching us because of the people in the story that have gone through and have risen again after adversity are calling us to do the same thing in the time that we live in. Now, we're people of the resurrection. We're people to rise up. And we have been called into that story to acts of, of small and big faithfulness in your own story. But it's even more than that because not only do we have God inside of us, and not only do we have this crowd of witnesses that have gone on before us, but we have the church, the body of believers, the family that is doing life with us. And, and, and that makes all the difference. But you're not living the Christian life. You're living the Christian life together as a church and as a church family. I want to tell you a story about a young man who was a teacher and uh, had probably in some ways lost his faith. Uh, he was, um, he had not really lost his faith in God as much as he had lost his faith in people and was beginning to question whether or not church even worked anymore. And that young man and his wife uh, were expecting their first baby, and that baby was born, and 24 hours after the baby was born, uh, he was diagnosed with a congenital heart defect. And a month later, that man and his wife were two hours away from home in a city where they didn't know many people, if anybody, uh, in a hospital for their son to have first open heart surgery. And in that city that they were in, the church surrounded them and gave them love, people they didn't even know. And that restored that person's faith in people to the point where he went from teaching to ministry and now has spent 20 years in ministry. See, you don't remember me, but I remember you. 18 years ago, my son was in the hospital at St. Joseph's in Tampa having his first open-heart surgery. And members of this church brought us food. They took care of us, washed our clothes, treated us like family. And Gary Lambrick, who I wish I was here, was here today, came and visited us during the time we were there and made such a difference in our lives. I never even stepped foot in this church until yesterday. But this church reminded me in one of the crisis points of my life that because we have family, we can make it through anything. 
So this morning I want to say welcome to the story. Welcome to the story of the rise up, uh, the, the never give up, the get down, knock down eight times, get up nine. What we have inside of us can never be destroyed because we have God in us. We have the people that have gone before and the, the family of Christians that surround us. So this morning as we close, I, I want to say a blessing over you since you were such a blessing to me 18 years ago. It's a blessing that me and my wife and my 18-year-old son, who's now had four open-heart surgeries and is doing well and thriving, I want to say, a, I want to, we say this blessing together with each other every night. And this morning as we close, I want to say it over you. And so if you'll stand and receive the blessing and then you stay standing after that for the invitation song. May the peace of the Lord Christ go with you. Wherever he may send you, may he guide you through the wilderness, protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. God bless you guys and let's worship together.